it is really good to be back after a week away. Uh, some of you asked me, what was I doing last weekend? I went down to visit a, uh, uh, now he's not a kid, but he was a kid in our youth group, senior in high school, and now he's pastoring in Toms River, New Jersey, and uh, started a church there two and a half years ago, and they are just impacting that community so well that uh, last, uh, they're, they're running around 300 on a Sunday, and they have four services. Uh, it made me feel really blessed for the facility that, we're, that we have here. They do 100 at a time. <laughs> you know, three services on Sunday and one Sunday on Monday. Uh, but it was just really good to be down there and to see some of the things that he's doing, the way God's working there. So I thank you for the gift to go around, go down there and spend some time with him and just see how he's uh, doing church. So um, we are in the middle of getting into our series, Jesus On. We're going to finish part one of this kind of up before we get into the Christmas season. And then for four weeks, five times, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Christmas at the movies. And then back in January, we'll pick up where we left off on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we need to remember that uh, thousands of years ago, Jesus spoke these words. And really, they floored the people that were hearing them. It was just revolutionary. And uh, he was challenging, and he begins this, he's speaking on the side of a mountain, and, and he's talking to his disciples, and a crowd comes also, and he's just sharing about what it's like to really engage. And he talks about things like happiness, which we're going to be finishing up this morning, um, influence next week, then relationships, sex, divorce, enemies, hypocrisy, worry, and so much more. He just continues to just uh, kind of chip away at all these subjects. And even today, there are expressions that sometimes you hear as uh, you're walking through your day from people that you would think maybe don't really know too much about God or have too much about faith. And sometimes someone will say, well, you need to turn the other cheek. Uh, judge, don't judge, lest he be judged. You know, you're not supposed to judge people. On and on and on. And, and they, they're just out there. And those are from the Sermon on the Mount from 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus starts off, he starts his talk, he starts his, uh, his sermon, he begins with, with a question that he anticipates people are thinking, especially his disciples. And the question is this, what makes people truly happy? And so he starts to walk through this, and he's going to give eight principles uh, not eight rules, but eight principles of what makes people truly happy. And uh, last time, uh, two weeks ago, we've covered the first four, but we're going to dive into the next. But uh, when, when you think about what makes you truly happy, that really is a question or an idea that most of us entertain or think about. We get up in the day, we start our day. What's going to make me happy today? What's going to make me happy to this week? And, and that's, that's kind of on our hearts. And so Jesus starts, Jesus starts to, to talk about that. Now, sometimes when you and I package this idea of what makes us happy, we phrase it like this. If only I could, then I'd be happy. If I only had this, then I would be happy. If I only had a certain car, if I only made that sports team, if I got that grade, if I could date him or her, if I got into that school, if only if I got that job, if I only could find that wife or that husband, if I only had money, then I would be happy. All of us have that 
to some extent, no matter if we're a convinced Christ follower or we're someone just, in a sense, kicking the tires to see if faith has anything for us. There There are moments and seasons of life where we say, if this would just happen, then I would be happy. If I could only have this. And obviously, any of us who uh, ever turn on our TVs, we see that uh, marketing is all designed with, if you only had this product, then you would be happy. Now, I can remember uh, first uh, thinking about this when I was a when I was you know a kid, and then I can remember one time where it really kind of cr- um, grabbed my imagination. And if only I had this. And it was back in 1981 when McDonald's was running this commercial. Isn't everyone excited about McDonald's? You deserve a break today, Gabe? Yes! Yes! Don't you love those big prizes? Believe it or not, that was the 80s. That's the way commercials were. And a commercial like that would actually get you thinking about McDonald's or at least winning their million dollars. And one time I was coming back uh, from a retreat, and it was uh, Bob, my youth leader, and then it was Dave, my buddy, and we were driving back from this retreat, and we stopped off at McDonald's while this was going on. And, of course, this is going on in my mind, and they have this little game piece, and we, we get in there. We're on the run, so we grab our Big Macs. We jump in the car. And we get our little little taggy things, and I get in the car, and we start driving out of the parking lot. And all of a sudden, I look at it. I tear off the first cover of it. And it says, you deserve a break today. You've won a million dollars. Bob looked at it, the youth leader, and said, let's go back to McDonald's. I think you've won. Wow, we've won. We're starting to scream. My buddy Dave was into bike boats. I'm saying, I'll buy you a, you know, a cabin cruiser. And I'm, I'm starting to, you know, uh, you know, by the time we got into the parking lot, you know, I probably spent $2 million. But anyway, but I was, you know, I was just you know, so excited. And then Bob said, well, run in and tell him. I go, aren't you coming with us? No, 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 I'll stay in the car. Oh, didn't I? So we run in, two 15-year-olds. We won! We won! We won! We won! We run up to the front. There's this high school girl who hates working at McDonald's. It's all over her face. She doesn't want to be there. We hand her the little ticket, and she looks at it with contempt in her heart, and just, just like, you guys. And she peels open it again and looks at it and goes, yeah, you've won. Small French fries. <laughs> we were so disappointed. We went back out to the car. Bob is like slamming his hands on the steering wheel laughing. I actually Facebook messaged him yesterday and we talked about this. He said, yeah, that's why I remember it. So, uh, <laughs> and he says, I'm still laughing. <laughs> See, that's what I, Thank you, Bob, if you ever listen in. Yeah, I'm not laughing right now. But anyway, you know, we were just, we were just, if only, if only, if only, and in that moment for like three minutes, all our if onlys were, if onlys were being answered in, in getting this money and then being able to have what we want. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus starts his conversation, his beatitudes on being happy, th- there's no if only. Nowhere does he say if only. He, d- he, just, he just doesn't start. If only you had this. 
And, and I have to just be frank with you, most of us, and it, and it happens to me, there are moments where I think, wow, the heaviness of life or just the boringness of life or the whatever of life, if only this would happen or I had this, life would be perfect. See, we all can drift into that, and Jesus knew that. And Jesus starts off with these Beatitudes. And all through this series, uh, we won't be talking about every time, but all through this series, you know, this is kind of the, the bottom line. And again, if you're a convinced Christ follower, you, you might drift from this. I have to be realigned to this regularly. Uh, that's why it's important for me to regularly be spending time with God, be in his word, be talking with him through prayer so I don't drift too far from this. So, uh, and, if you're, and if you're just checking things out, you, you've got you've to answer this question in your heart. You've got to eventually lean into this idea, and this idea is this, that Jesus will make life better and makes us better at life. Jesus will make life better and makes us better at life. There are some days I absolutely believe that and live that out. And then there are some days not so much. It's drifting. That old hymn, prone to wander. And so we have to come terms with this, and then we've got to not just know it in our head, but remind us and own it in our heart. Because Jesus never said, if only, then you will be happy. He shows us how to uh, be blessed and live in that place now, today, in this moment. Now, again, we covered the first four uh, two weeks ago. You can catch up with that online or get a CD at uh, guest services. But our first week we saw that uh, is this idea of being poor in spirit. I'm just going to touch on these because we dove into these two weeks ago. Poor in spirit. And I liked how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrased, translated uh, verse 3. This is what he says. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. That's quite the opposite of usually the way I'm thinking. It's usually when I'm at the end of the rope, that's when life is the worst. You have to listen to the next last week's, two weeks ago's message to find out the rest about that. <laughs> uh, then there is those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, often when we celebrate communion, I refer to this psalm passage about mourning, about, about realizing that, uh, you know, I fall short of what God would have me to be, and, and then mourning about that, but then realizing that there's forgiveness in Christ, and it just changes everything. I don't have to stay in that place, but I do have to begin with mourning, feeling bad, feeling rotten, feeling sad about the way I live, about sin in my life. Those who mourn, Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because Christ will comfort them. Psalm 32 says, Then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. Some of us have experienced this. Hopefully most of us have experienced this, where you've come to Christ and you've said, God, 
Jesus, I need forgiveness. I feel the weight of it. I feel the conviction of it. I feel bad about it. I am mourning. And then all of a sudden, when it's, when it's real in your heart, when there's real repentance, all of a sudden, there's this moment where your mourning goes to relief. And then you say, yes, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted by God. We also talked about the meek. And we saw this, I, again, I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson does verse 5. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Usually when we look at meek, we usually look at that someone who's like a doormat for everybody. But the meek person is the person that can be in second place. It's the person that is content and satisfied in the moment. So they're blessed with contentness. And, and, they're, and they don't have to be number one. They can sit in the second chair. It doesn't have to be always about them. And they can just relax in that place. And we've all met people that just have a spirit of contentment with them. It's not uh, sloppiness. It's not a lack of uh, uh, drive or direction in their life. It's just they're at peace with where they're at. And when you and I can find ourselves being meek, we are happy. We are blessed. Also, we looked at the idea of hungry and thirst, or hunger and thirst, about seeking after God's righteousness. And... Um, I love what Isaiah writes. All those who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come away. Buy and eat. Why do you spend your money on junk food? Your hard-earned cash on cotton candy. Pay attention. Come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. Anybody eat too much candy this week? When they were hungry. I did like eight mini Kit Kats at one sitting. Was not a good moment. It tasted good going down. Afterwards, I'm like, man, I should have eaten something like of substance, not like eight, you know, kit, little Kit Kats. But oh man, it was like cotton candy. When you and I hunger and thirst and fill our lives with the cotton candy, the junk food of life, we'll, we'll never be happy. Uh, we'll never have that lasting joy. It, it might taste good for a moment. Three, four was pretty good. I probably should have stopped at six, but, you know, I had to do seven, eight. So, you know, and, uh, and then last night I was good. I only took three. So I, I learned my lesson that time. But hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being right with God is the idea. Living a life that aligns with him, being right with him. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but when we hunger for that kind of life, when we're hungry for righteousness, being right with God, aligned with him, navigating through our life on that pathway, uh, we find ourselves being blessed. You know, last when we talked about this two weeks ago, I couldn't go on to these other three little ideas that go along with this, but this idea of hunger and thirst, uh, you know, sometimes we're just, we're just looking for survival. Uh, we're saying, man, if I can just survive to the weekend, if I can just survive this situation, and, and, we, and we're, we're driven, we're controlled for just survival. And there are times in life that that's, that is there, but when it's always there, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, we're just not happy. If I can just 
get to the weekend, if I can just get this thing done, if I can just survive one more day. It's funny, uh, John, will, John uh, Simon oftentimes will say, happy Wednesday or happy Friday, and really happy Friday, you know, to me. And I'm like, Fridays aren't happy because I know, like, there's two more days till Sunday, and I've got to have a sermon done. So it's, I'm not happy. And then sometimes she'll say in the afternoon, uh, you know, happy Sunday because now I get, you know, some time off. And now it's only seven, six days till the next time. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, this survival kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, that's our drivenness. And, and, it's, it, and Jesus doesn't want us to be just live always survival time, until vacation, until retirement, until the kids grow up, until I have kids, until, until I find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, whatever it is. We just live in survival mode. And sometimes it carries us through for a little while, but if that's just our total rhythm of life, happiness escapes us. Then there's some of us that uh, get, you know, we get through the survival, and now we're just after success, and, and that's, that's good. It's good to achieve. It's good to accomplish. It's good to put things together. But when it's just success, when it's just uh, some notoriety because you've, you've, you've made it, uh, you've, you know, you've finally paid this off, bought this, have whatever, and, and you want the, want the uh, uh, just the atmosphere of success around you, if that's just your driving, it, you know, that won't sustain you. Sometimes we've got to push in that direction, but if that stays the, the drivenness of our life, we're not seeking after alignment with God. That success is kind of eclipsing that. Survival kind of eclipses that. But what we really ought to be seeking after is this idea of righteousness and significance. Um, as we get older, we start thinking about these kinds of things. What kind of legacy am I going to leave? What, what kind of, what kind of, uh, what kind of uh, uh, you know, results, something that's going to live beyond me? Um, I, I'm haven't done it yet, but uh, uh, there's a new pastor at the first church that Cindy and I were at. I was, I was probably, probably 22, wow, a long time ago. And uh, I was the youth pastor, I was the pastor, and this is, this is two or three after, after me being there. And, and uh, I thought this week, man, I, I need to write this guy a, a letter. Because I, 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 hope, I hope he can take that, just be there and see that place used by God for whenever. And then I asked myself, and not in a prideful way, but just, I said, I, I, wonder, I wonder if there were, what things that I did that actually built or maybe put a little bit of a foundation there. Think about that anywhere. What, what kind of foundation am I going to live, uh, leave? What, 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 what's what's, what's going to be good? I know when we were adding on to the building and we are talking about design and things like that, I said, I want these designs to be such that 20, 30 years from now, whoever's here is going like, why did they do that? That is so odd. What, you know, I, I, want, I want the building to work for the future. And, uh, so, and that, that's just scratching the surface. So, so what kind of significance? Sometimes we talk about, well, not sometimes, a lot of times, we talk about making a difference. And so when we're seeking after righteousness, seeking after a life that's aligned with God, it's this idea of, yes, there's those days of survival. Yes, there's those days where success is on the radar screen. But really, it should be significance. How am I living this week, this year, in such a way that it will pay dividends, not for me, but for somebody else? Not for me, but for my children. 
Not for me, but for my grandchildren someday. How do I live for significance? Let's go to uh, Matthew 5, verse 7. It's page 677 in that Bible you'll find around you. Obviously, the verses will be up on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, uh, please take that rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Um, also, we say this often, but the idea that if you don't, if you want a, a Bible app, there's a version, and it's great, it's free, and you can have the Bible on your phone, on your electronic device, and it's just great to have it with you. Matthew 5, 7, we come into the next one. Then Jesus goes on and says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful. Merciful. The person that is kind. I, again, I like the way... Uh, you, the message translates it, you're blessed when you care at the moment of being careful. You find yourselves cared for. What, what's that mean? When, when you're actually careful with people's lives in your life, when, when, you're, when you're gracious, when you're kind, when someone, when someone stumbles, you're there to help pick them up. Uh, when someone just doesn't get it, you're there on their side. When someone blows it royally, you're merciful, you're gentle with them. Blessed is that kind of person. And it's, it's almost like what comes around goes around. When, when, you're, when you're merciful to other people, that doesn't mean you, you wink at things that are of alignment with God, but it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean you're on their case either. It means you're kind. You realize that they're in growth and in a journey just like you are. You don't expect them to act the way you're acting now because you've got 30 years under the belt of following Christ. You expect them to grow. You remember that 20 years ago when you were a Christian, you thought about things a little differently. You let them grow. You're, you're merciful. You're careful with them. You don't crush them. Those of us who are parents with, with kids, we're, we're, we're not crushing our kids. We're, not, we're, not, we're coming down hard on them. We're taking them by the hand and leading them. You're blessed when you care. And, and I've seen it time and time again, and it's not that I want to do it so I get blessing, but I've seen it when, when I'm gracious and merciful with others, I find that God is gracious and merciful, or at least, at least I'm more aware of it with me. I realize that a forgiven person is a forgiver. A lot of us remember the story, the parable from Matthew 18, where there's two servants. One servant owes a zillion million dollars, comes to the master, Ask for forgiveness. Please be merciful to me. I can't pay you back. And the amount is such an amount that, the, that a person could not have earned that much money, a normal person. So it's really, the debt is unpayable for a normal person. It's way too much money. And he goes to the master who, who he owes the money to, and the master forgives him. Then that servant goes to someone who owes him some money. Maybe a month's pay maybe a week's pay, and the first servant that had been forgiven just, 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 just doesn't have an ounce of mercy, doesn't have an ounce of mercy, and just comes down hard on him, where's my money, where's my money, and actually throws the guy or has the guy thrown in jail. The master finds out about this and isn't happy about this. The master actually takes 
the first servant who he had forgiven way more money than it was possible to pay and has him thrown in jail. And Jesus actually uses the word thrown in jail and tortured. Ooh, that's not politically correct, but it is not good, not good for someone who's experienced mercy not to be merciful to other people. And I don't necessarily think you're going to get tortured. I think as you reflect back on life and all of a sudden realize the mercy that you've experienced at the hand of God and the hand of others, and then all of a sudden you find and realize that you haven't been merciful to somebody else, I think it gnaws at your heart. I know some times where I have not been merciful to somebody, and it bothers me. Sometimes I've been able to make it right, and making it right is just saying, I'm sorry, I can't undo the lack of mercy. And other times I haven't, and it gnaws at me. And I said this a few minutes earlier, it's not in your notes. Those who know they've been forgiven, show that by forgiving. Can that be said about me? Can that be said about you? Also, this idea, mercy tends to flow into the life that gives it. Those who give grace tend to receive it. Yikes. Yikes. But you, you've seen that. You've probably experienced that. Next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. What in the world does pure in heart mean? Because I know that my heart is never completely pure. Maybe it hits up to 89% and it starts going back down, but it never hits 100. But what does it mean? Again, it means a life that is in alignment with God, pure in heart, focused, one eye, direction. When you and I are pure in heart, we find that we see God or are aware of God showing up in our lives. You're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and your heart put right. Not put perfectly, but put right. Put right with God. Then you can see God in the outside world. I love, I love when I can identify God working in my life and working in others' lives. That, that really, that energizes me. That, that, that I, I just, it just really, wow, that is awesome. And some days I start off not every day, probably should do that every day, but sometimes I start with God, I want to see you navigating and walking through in my life. I don't, I don't want to, I want to be aware of your goodness. I want to be aware of those opportunities where you give me a conversation where I can point to you or I can do something right that may seem a little unusual to somebody, but it's your prompting. It's not because of me. It's because I'm focused on you, and all of a sudden I have this, this, this laser focus, and I see it, and I take it, and I do it, and I get to see you working on the outside. You see, purity leads to clarity, focus, one heartedness. And uh, for those of us who have been in church world for a long time, this is a hard one because we know more stuff. I've said this before, I'm educated beyond my level of obedience. I could actually, I need to be reminded, but if I don't need to know anything new, I just need to know, do what I know. I, I know how to walk as a Christian. 
Most of you do. I don't need another sermon, per se. Well, that doesn't mean don't come back next week. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need like, wow, I didn't know that before. You know, I, I don't need any of that. I just need to be inspired, kicked sometimes into doing what I know. Purity, oneness of heart, mind and soul together. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, knew it all. They had all kinds of rules. You may remember the story that Jesus talks about. Woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then clean, and then the outside will be clean also. If I can get my heart right, if I can be aligned with God, then my actions are this probably isn't a good grammar word, writer. My, my actions are writer because my heart is right with God. I told you the story about uh, the, the, the dark years where my mother went back to college. It was a bad, bad time because dad was left with us by ourselves. And, and uh, dad was a little bit more, you know, and Saturday mornings were terrible because cartoons were not allowed to be watched until our rooms were clean. Mom never said that. Mom, stop going to school. We love you just the way you are. But she wanted to go to school. So she's good at college. And uh, dad, first thing you do is your room clean. And uh, he would come into my room and uh, uh, see if it was clean. And the first week it wasn't. And uh, second week I learned that I need to clean it. So what I would do is I'd grab all my stuff, throw it in the closet. And, uh, and I would also grab the, grab the vacuum cleaner. Don't do this. I'm not responsible. I would grab the vacuum cleaner, and I would just let it run in my room and just sit and watch it. I'm not vacuuming, but my dad thinks I'm vacuuming. <laughs> okay, I'm done. And uh, so the room really wasn't clean. So dad comes down one day and looks at my room, and it, it's passing, but he goes to the closet. He opens the closet and throws everything out in the middle of the room and says, I think you got to start over again. See, the closet needed to be cleaned. The outside looked fine. You and I have got to work at this. I've got to work at this. Making sure pure in heart. And the blessing, the happiness of pure in heart is I get to see God showing up in my life. Next one, the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When you and I, as a Christ follower, are a peacemaker, not someone who just avoids conflict. A few weeks ago, we talked about sometimes you've got to have a little hard conversation. And actually, having the hard conversation makes lasting peace, rather than avoiding the hard conversation. But when you and I are engaged peacemakers... People see that we are following God. We're the children of God. Bringing people together, not separating people. When we're peacemakers ourselves, it shows that you and I value relationships more than I value being right. Now, don't misquote me on this. This doesn't mean you're not supposed to be right. Not supposed to be accurate. Not supposed to be righteous. 
but it does mean that some of us are so into being right that we don't value the relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit got together and said, Son, you need to go to earth. I know I'm right, but I value relationship more. So will you go? And he goes. Goes not to be just born in a little manger so we can do Christmas stuff. He's born to die and to raise again, risen again. Just a few minutes, we're going to remember that. Valuing relationships more than being right. Often we say that approach trumps content almost every time. First Timothy, I came across this this week in my personal readings. First Timothy 1.8 says, It is true that moral guidance and counsel needs to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. Boy, have I learned that being married. Have I learned that being a dad of three girls. It's, it's how you say it. How do you say it? Not just saying it. Next we see you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Next we see the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This one I feel very conflicted sharing because I don't feel that I'm persecuted. Things aren't always easy for a Christ follower in our society, but I wouldn't put it at the level of persecuted. When I read articles that in China, sometimes the government recently decides that they don't want a church in the community, and one day they show up with bulldozers and bulldoze the whole church down. But we paid, we raised money for that, and boom, it's gone. A week later, it's growing grass and it's a park. When I hear about Bible translators in Africa being murdered, when I hear about all those kinds of things, I go, wow, I, I, I don't really feel comfortable talking about blessed be the persecutors because I, I can't even fathom that. And I don't, wanna, I don't want that kind of happiness in my life. But when Jesus came, he knew there would be conflict. He knew he came with the answer for life, but he knew that there would be those that would reject it and would not just reject it by turning the other way. They would invoke violence on those who held to his beliefs. It cost him his life. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Christ follower, make sure... They say evil of you because of Christ, not because of you. That's not what he's saying. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble just because we're not kind, just because we're kind of jerky. He's not saying that. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice in me, God, because great is your reward in heaven. Don't know what that looks like, but your faithfulness will be honored. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. And if you went back to the Older Testament, you would see a lot of persecution going on. The persecuted. So as I thought about 
this, and I thought, wow, I, I, I really, you know, I can, a couple times where people gave me a hard time. I remember the first time in high school, Billy Graham was in Boston. It was the early 80s again, and I was going to the Billy Graham crusade, and someone in my shop class knew that, and they kind of gave me a hard time about it. Big deal, but that was about, that was about it. Oh, you're going to the Billy Graham crusade? Are you one of those born-again believers? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, run, they're persecuting me. You know, no, give me a break. That was not persecution. Made me feel very uncomfortable. And uh, I wasn't prepared for it in my mind, so I didn't even, I kind of like just shrunk back. And, you know, I should have been a little bit more ready for that. But anyway, that was about it. But I said, so, so what do we do when we feel the heat of maybe prejudice or persecution? This seems like a little too heavy of a word for us, for most of us. But what do we do? Uh, Hebrews tells us this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. I love reading through the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, at least once a year, and watching how Jesus lived his life, how he interacted, what he did. As we will lead up to Easter, we'll, we'll see some of those kinds of things, and we'll see how he did it. That, that helps me put things in perspective. It gives me strength when I feel a little bit of heat. And again, it's a little bit of heat. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. When we celebrate communion, I usually say, you know, we look to the past. We look within. Uh, we look around. That's the reason we have that little uh, assistance love offering envelope, and it's got a little expression there. And we also look to the future. You see, we look to the future. When you live in a society where there's real persecution and you celebrate communion, you're not just looking back. You're not just looking within. You're not looking around. You're looking to that day where you're heading. You're saying, Lord, I can't wait to be with you. The, the, the bittersweet thing about our lives as Americans is life can be pretty good. Most of us aren't living to that level. Life is pretty good here. Yeah, we want to go see Jesus someday, but not today. I remember when I was getting ready to get my driver's license, I kept thinking, is this going to be the day the Lord comes and I won't be able to get my driver's license? I want my driver's license. No, he obviously didn't come then, but, uh, but this idea of looking to where we're heading. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, wilting, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You'll be aware of the presence of God. You'll be aware of Jesus and what he did. And that's why sometimes when we hear these horrific stories where people give their life in horrible ways as a witness to that they are Jesus's and Jesus is ours, they don't seem to flinch. Can't even describe that. Can't even imagine that. But the concept is when you're that tight with him, shoot adrenaline in your souls, and he'll see you through. So happiness. Jesus doesn't say, if only I have this. I caught myself catching that all the time this week. If only, then life would be good. If only, then today would be good. If only, this problem would go away. 
go beyond that. I, I, I realize that happiness is this. Happiness is not about the quality of life you're experiencing now, but the quality of life you leave behind. And for some of us, that seems so far in the future. Some of us seems a little closer. But it's about the quality of life we not about the quality of life we treat it's about it's about the legacy it's about the heritage it's about it's about the 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 foundation we leave for somebody else jesus will make life better and make us better at life the sermon on the mount begins with the beatitudes this is in your notes i came across this idea beatitudes are the attitudes i can be the attitudes are the attitudes I can be. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your son. We just don't say that, but because he came, we have the Sermon on the Mount. We're thankful that Jesus gave that message. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. We thank you for the fact that it's been preserved for us. Lord, help us to see how happiness isn't based on if only, if only, if only. If we're chasing after those kinds of dreams, we'll never be able to be, at, be content in the moment. Help us to see that beatitudes are attitudes that we can be. Help us to digest and walk through those. Make them ours. And may we find that life is better with Jesus. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.